Good morning. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your Word and that you reveal yourself clearly. And Lord, as we come to this part of your Word this morning, as we finish off this series in Revelation, that you will help us to come humbly to the text, help us to, uh, to listen to you clearly, and Lord, please challenge us to live for Jesus in this world today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the last couple of weeks, uh, I've been doing some renovations uh, at a house that I'm moving to this coming week. And we're doing a whole lot in this place. We ripped off all the floors. Uh, we're doing the whole bathroom and the whole kitchen. And all the old is gone and the new is in. And you know the best moment of it all? Uh, it's the moment when everything was finally complete. New floors, new kitchen, new bathroom. It was all done, that moment of relief, that completion, that time when all the old stuff was gone and everything new was there. And guess what? Uh, as we come to today's passage, that's what is kind of happening here, but in a much bigger, much more universal scale. The whole city here is made new. The old is gone. And remember the last couple of weeks, evil is done away with. You see, in the end of Revelation, we get a sneak peek at the end, at how the Bible finishes and what Christians, what we have to look forward to. God's rolling up the universe and he's remaking it to how it's supposed to be. If you have your Bibles, have a look at verse 1 with me. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The language here is largely symbolic. It's a city, it's a bride, it's a vision, but it's describing a real future, a real new creation, and a real hope for us as God's people. For those who have been living for Jesus, who have suffered, who have endured, and who have held on right to the end. You see, this passage is really the Bible's happily ever after, the completion, that moment of relief, a new creation, heaven, and eternity. Do you know how this world is going to end? Do you look forward to what's been said here? Do you live in light of this here? Well, this morning we're going to tackle this passage uh, by looking at five aspects of the new creation that we can look forward to. Uh, we're going to jump around a bit during, uh, in the text. Uh, we don't have time to look at each and every detail, but hopefully this gives you a good broad overview of these chapters and a taste of what we can look forward to in this new creation. When I was in high school... Um, we had this undercover area between uh, these two buildings, and it was called Chinatown. It was a place to be if you were an Asian in McGregor State High. You see, it was the place where all the action happened. It was where all the good food was at. It was where all the card games took place, big two. Uh, it was where uh, to go and get all the gossip, and it was where all the social events were discussed and made. Uh, you see... Chinatown for me at high school was the place to be. And for John in this passage, this is kind of what he means when he talks about the city. You see, for the ancient world, the city was the place to be. 
it was where all the action happened. It was the hub of society, the place to know people and to be known by people, to see and to be seen by people. It was an incredibly social and relational place. And here the city points to the people of God, in the place of God, in relationship with God himself. We see this in verse 3. John says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This, in this new creation, this new city, there will be unlimited intimacy uh, with God himself. In verse 22, jump ahead and have a look. Uh, there's no temple because God uh, will physically dwell with us. This is where the Bible is going. Unlimited intimacy with God. Now if you stop for a moment and just compare uh, this with your relationship with God today. I don't know about you, but my relationship with God has its ups and downs, its highs and lows. Uh, in your quiet times when you read your Bible, when you pray, Sometimes it can be great, but other times it can be a hard slog. Well, think about this new creation. There will be none of this. No more struggles in your routine. No more uncertainty if God is there or not. No more blank moments when you're not sure what God's actually saying. You see, heaven is about having the most intimate intimacy with God for eternity. If you think back now to your childhood memories, your closest moments with your parents, your most heartfelt moments with your spouse or your best friends, that time when you were electrified by God in his presence. Now think about those things and multiply that feeling by a thousand, and it still won't compare to the intimacy we'll have with God in heaven. You see, the city is a picture of a community, the church sharing relationship with each other, and most importantly, having a direct relationship with God himself, unlimited shared intimacy with the creator of the universe. This is what God's been working towards in the whole Bible, in creation, through the cross, and now in the new creation, so we can enjoy unlimited intimacy with God. You see, heaven is primarily about a relationship, but sometimes we focus on the other benefits of heaven, don't we? whether it be no work, uh, no more annoying people, uh, even no more evil and pain, perfect freedom. But would you still want in on this new creation if there was all of these good things but no God? I think it's still very appealing. Uh, most of us would probably consider this, all those benefits, and many non-Christians would even want in on this. But have a think if you'd still want in on this new creation if there was no God. Because if we take this new creation uh, without this restored relationship with God, then we've missed the point of the whole Bible. It's only when we know God and we see God that we can experience true satisfaction and joy. You see, we look forward to unlimited intimacy with God in the new creation. Isn't that something that we can look forward to. But to keep this intimacy as we go on, we need to be safe. Uh, the world we live in, as we all know, is in this kind of state of tension at the moment. Uh, we've seen all that's been happening with ISIS, uh, the attacks in Paris a couple weeks ago, uh, the acts of evil that we read and see about that just leave us speechless. Well, 
we as Christians, we have a hope of safety in the future that we can look forward to today because there'll be no such problems like these in the new creation. You see, no one will get in that shouldn't be there. Have a look at verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all lies, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You see, there's no evil, no wickedness, no idolaters. All of these have been judged and done away with. Nobody gets in this new creation except the people of God, and nothing can spoil our intimacy with God. Have a look again at verses 12 and verse 17. This city is massive, and it's surrounded by a huge wall. It says 144 cubits. Uh, it's high or thick. Uh, we're not really mentioned what it says, but literally this is about 65 meters. It's about uh, the length of here to the end of the car park, uh, or up 15 stories high. It's pretty thick or pretty high for a wall, if you think about it. Well, symbolically, this means that it's a really big wall. It's 12 by 12. It's completeness. It's big, it's wide, or it's thick enough so that we can feel secure in this new creation. Check out verse 23 to 25. There's no night here because God's glory gives light. And in those days, the, uh, the night meant danger or wickedness or evil. And this new creation will have none of that, no night. It will be safe and it will be always in the light. You see, in this new creation, we'll have unbreachable security in eternity. Nothing can spoil our intimacy with God, our relationship with God. No one will get in that shouldn't be there. Nothing can penetrate the defenses of this new creation. And this was a huge comfort to Christians who are reading this. You see, uh, the Christians in the first century, they were being persecuted left, right, and center. People were abusing them, even killing them, just because they believed in Jesus. And God's reminding these people, it'll all be gone one day. No problems, no evil, just you and me forever. And God's saying the same thing to us today. You see, we live in a world where sin and evil is almost normalized and expected. We see it in the news. Uh, suffering is everywhere around us, even in our communities with these acts of violence. Uh, and even out to the war-ravished countries in the world. There's a sense that nowhere in the world today is safe. Well, imagine a world with none of these problems, a new creation with unbreachable security. No one can spoil your time with God. Do you look forward to this? Do you long for this? Because that's what it's going to be like in the new creation. And the new creation is also like a perfect city. Some might call it the idea of utopia, a perfect society of the future. But what does this look like? Um, I had to study this in architecture, and uh, there's someone, there's someone had to say something about utopia, and we had to read it. It says, we must invent and rebuild, rebuild the city like an immense and tumultuous shipyard. That's why I left architecture. Agile, mobile, and dynamic in every detail, and the house must be like a gigantic machine. The lifts must scale the lengths of the facades like serpents of steel and glass. 
it must soar up on the brink of a tumultuous abyss. The street will no longer lie like a doormat at ground level, but will plunge many stories down into the earth, embracing the traffic, and, and embracing the traffic, and will be linked up by metal gangways and swift-moving pavements. That's one idea of utopia. But I don't know about you, but I much prefer this description here in Revelation. Let's have a look at the layout of this city from verses 12 to 21. As we saw read、uh, just before, there's 12 gates, 12 angels, 12 inscriptions, 12 foundations. It gets a little bit repetitive here, but 12 points to completeness and wholeness. It's an echo of God's people around God's presence, the tabernacle in the Old Testament. This is the unparalleled completeness of the new creation. Then we get even more twelves mentioned as we keep going. Verse thirteen and fourteen. There's twelve tribes, twelve apostles, all the people from the old covenant and the new covenant together in God's city as God's people. Verse sixteen.、Uh, the city is described symbolically like a cube. It's twelve thousand stadia in length, width, and height. In height, literally, it's a cube. Uh, each edge from this distance from here to Cairns in length, width, and height. Of course, it's symbolic: twelve, 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 completeness, perfection, and wholeness. This is the city of unparalleled completeness. Verse 19 to 20 it keeps going: twelve stones and twelve whopping great pearls. This city is oozing with perfection. This is creation untainted with pre-fall qualities, and this is the eternity that we look forward to—a perfect heaven and earth, a complete gathering of God's people. It's so unthinkable, unbelievable, and it's so foreign to us. It was to John, and it's still for us today. Yet it's what we look forward to as Christians—a perfect world filled with God's people only, God's city under God's rule. He promises this unparalleled completeness for eternity. But not only is this new creation perfect; it's also beautiful beyond imagination. I remember the day I walked out of the bus and was hit with the sight of the Grand Canyon. The sheer beauty and the greatness of the canyon just hit me, and I was plain speechless. All I could say, think, or feel was just, "Wow." Everything took a backseat, even my fear of heights, to staring out at this vast beauty of the Grand Canyon. And as we read this passage here, part of it is designed to make us just say, "Wow!" But some, sometimes we just need to sit back. We just need to let this beauty take our breaths away. Verse 11. Have a look. The city shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 18: The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Can you imagine all of this? Verse 19 and the twelve stones that Vanessa、uh, mentioned very nicely: jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, ruby, on and on. We're not supposed to ask what each stone stands for. We're just supposed to say, "Wow, this is beautiful. It's going to be beautiful." The beauty here is described so casually too. It's saying, "Yep, these walls are just made of this precious stone."
uh, we use uh, just this massive pearl to make this gate. Hey, this street is just made of gold. All of this is just a glimpse of God's beauty, the maker and the ruler of the new creation. You know, we have a glimpse of this today, now in our world, and we find these glimpses wonderful, beautiful, breathtaking, and we know that this is just a glimpse of the beauty of God's creation. We give glory to Him. But this also gives us a taste of what we look forward to and what we expect in the new creation, this unimaginable beauty, which is just a testament to the author of beauty, the author of creation. You see, the beauty of this new creation ultimately points to and gives glory to God. It's all about Him. So we've seen all these aspects of the new creation, but all that we've seen, all we've talked about until now, it's kind of pointless if it doesn't last. Have you ever been in that perfect moment just to have someone or something spoil and interrupt it? It's when the, the third wheel spoils your date. It's when Mr. or Mrs. Party Pooper joins the group. It's when you're watching TV and someone changes the channel. It's when it's a beautiful sunny day and suddenly you get pooped on by a bird. Or it's just when you simply go home and call it a night. Well, as we've gone through this passage, we've seen that in God's new creation, there's unlimited intimacy with God. There's unbreachable security for eternity. There's unparalleled completeness in the creation and unimaginable beauty, which points back to God himself. And you know what? Nothing is ever going to interrupt God's delight in us and our joy in him. Nothing's going to spoil this. Nothing will get in between you and God. You see, we'll have uninterrupted joy. If you have a look, there's a couple of things clearly missing in this new creation. One of them is in verse 1. It's the sea. But beach lovers, you don't need to worry because, again, it's symbolism. The sea is where evil originates. It's where Christians are persecuted. It's the place of the dead. And in Hebrew, the word for sea is actually the name of a god in the, old, in the Near East. It's a symbol for idolatry. But here, there'll be none of this in the new creation. There'll be nothing, nothing to wreck our joy in God. Verse 4, there's no sadness in the new creation. God takes away anything that interrupts our joy in Him. Death, mourning, crying, pain, it's all gone. It's all dealt with. It's all a thing of the past. Verse 22, if you jump ahead, there's no temple in the new creation. God is on the throne, and we're with Him in this new creation. So no temple is required. Christ has come. He's died and rose again to take away our sins. No other mediation is necessary. No other sacrifice is needed. In fact, the cube city, uh, it's a symbol of the Holy of Holies, which is the most inner sanctuary of the temple. And it was also shaped like a cube. This was where God dwelled in the Old Testament temple. But now God dwells in the whole city. So in this new creation, we're always in God's presence uninterrupted joy, no sea, no sadness, no temple. And something we haven't seen for a long, long time pops up. Chapter 22, verse 1, have a look. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Verse 2, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, 
We haven't seen these things in, since Genesis chapter 3. In fact, in these verses, we see God recreating the garden. It's a new garden. We're back in this pre-sin, pre-fall, perfect relationship with God. You see, God's in the center, and he gives life to the whole new creation. He's triumphed. He's sitting on the throne, and all people will worship him in the new creation. There's no curse and no sin. And we get to what we've been waiting for since the fall, the resolution of the whole plot, the happily ever after moment of the Bible. It's where the whole Bible's been going all along. Chapter 22, verse 4. They will see his face. We will see God's face. And verse 5, and they will reign with him forever. We're no longer cut off from God. In fact, we can't be separated from God in this new creation. We'll have uninterrupted joy forever. God wins, God reigns, and we will be with him forever. That's what we have to look forward to from this passage. So this is what the new creation is going to be like. Intimacy with God, security from evil, perfect and complete, beauty beyond imagination, and joy for eternity. But what does this say to both the first century Christian and for us today in the 21st century? Well, I think it boils down to one question. What are you looking for? What, what are you looking forward to in your life? What's spurring you on? What's motivating you to keep living for Jesus? Because God presents us with this vision, this image, and he says, you might be struggling, you're probably weary, life's hard, life's a slog, but look forward to this. Keep going in light of this, this perfect eternity with God. Friends, what are you looking forward to in your life? What keeps you going? What keeps you ticking? Is it the next paycheck? Is it the next job, the next house, graduating uni? Is it retiring with your super? Is it finding the right guy or girl? Is it building and leaving a legacy for yourself? What is it? Because if it's anything in this world and of this world, it's not going to last. It's not going to spur you on to keep living for Jesus. But John here, he presents the ultimate thing to look forward to, something that would change the way you live today, something that will last the whole distance, something that offers maximum joy, complete and total joy, and it lasts forever, all the way into eternity. John says, look forward to this. Live in light of this. Let this spur you on as you keep following Jesus. So as we finish off, uh, we're going to look at the end of this letter, rapid fire, and just have a look at some quick points at what John is emphasizing at the end. And the first thing is pretty clear. Have a look at chapter 22, verse 7. He says, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy within the scroll. And verse 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is coming soon. That's, what, that's the first thing that John wants to emphasize at the end. The second thing he wants to emphasize is to worship God. You see, he, he records verses 8 and 9 to remind us of this. Have a look. Uh, John responds to all these visions by worshiping, 
worshipping the angel, but the angel says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. And if John needs to be reminded of this, then I think we do too today. Worship God. He also wants us to keep living for Jesus. Verses 10 and 11. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the, per- let the holy person continue to be holy. Be holy. Keep living for Jesus. Verses 14 and 15 says a similar thing. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Live for Jesus. Make sure you're part of the city. And finally, John wants us to be firm on false teaching. Verses 18 and 19, he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. John knows how important this letter is, and he probably knows how easily it can be misused by people. And it's a warning to us today amidst all the crazy talk you might hear about the end times. John's saying, read God's word clearly. Read this prophetic letter clearly. Don't add or take away. Don't end up teaching something that's not of the gospel. Because friends, there's an important message that we need to get here. And we've seen that this morning um, in this image of the new creation, he's saying, cast our eyes on Jesus. He says, yes, I am coming soon. And he's bringing with him maximum joy forever. This is the new creation. That's what we have to look forward to, folks. And that's what we live in hope of today. So how about we finish off by praying to this end? Let's pray. Lord God, we look forward to your new creation, to heaven and to eternity, to maximum and unbridled joy lasting forever and ever. Help us to live our lives today, right now, in light of what we look forward to. Help us to know, to be convicted of your victory, your triumph over sin and death, and the perfect relationship with you that we look forward to. Lord, your new creation sounds so amazing, yet it's sometimes hard for us to really grapple with what eternity holds. So we thank you for the certainty that Jesus is on the throne, that he's dealt with our sins, and that he's coming soon. Lord, we thank you that you are our God. And thank you for this hope that we have in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.